This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Mary Queen of Scots biography. Hot with your hosts Graham Duke and Ali Cook. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth. We've got a queen. We do have a queen for, well, not quite the first time if you include Margaret the Maid of Norway, oh, yeah. which we did. Mm. But it's an incredible uh, life story. It's also an incredible period in Scottish history. As such, because we're near the end of our series now, we're going to indulge ourselves a little bit. So mm. there's going to be not one, not two, but three episodes Whee! on Mary Queen of Scots. I promise it won't escalate like Victoria. <laughs> oh, you had to mention the V word. Um, but... There's an awful lot of history out there, isn't there? So mm. how is it going to work? Two biographies. Yeah, so two biographies. So today we're going to take uh, you through her minority, because she starts off, as we'll see, very young. Take her through all of that, all of the things that happen in Scotland, what she's up to in her childhood, and then up to really what's probably the peak of her personal rule. Okay. And then next time the biography will take her from... Spoiler alert! <laughs> Without any spoilers... <laughs> Every time you go up a mountain, there's then an inevitable downward journey. And for Mary, it's really quite a uh, precipitous (laughs) downward journey. So we'll go through all of that. And then in the third episode, we will actually review her. She's a biggie! She is not the longest reign in Scottish history, but uh, one of the most packed in terms of events and drama. And Was she a biggie in size? Or is that just the fashion of the time? Well, maybe we shall come to um, what she looks like and how big she is. Now, a quick bit of backgroundy stuff for Mary Queen of Scots. Mm. We've had a succession of Jameses. Yeah, loads of them. And uh, they've all been quite similar in a way. A succession mm. of chaotic minorities. The Jameses showing a lot of early promise, making prestigious marriages, being quite hard and battly, but then suffering a very violent death when it looked like everything was going well. Or starting really well and ending really badly. None of them seem to marry the two. Certainly ending violently before they got to a decent age. James V died in 1542, irritated Henry VIII by not adopting uh, the Reformation, uh, the Protestant Reformation that Henry VIII had done. And uh, the Scots are defeated at Solway Moss. James V isn't there, but he does unfortunately contract cholera or something like that and dies shortly afterwards. So... Mary, Queen of Scots, is the daughter of James V and his uh, second wife, Mary of Guise. And she's born on the 8th of December, 1542. So she becomes queen when she is six 
days old. Oh, wow. Hang on. You said she wasn't the longest reigning, so I'm imagining a sticky end, but what a start. Yeah, she is the youngest uh, monarch that we've ever had on Rex Factor. Oh! Six, I mean, six Rex days Rex. old, that is... It's hard to beat, isn't it? It's very hard to beat. How would you... I mean... I mean, you basically have to still be in the womb. Has there ever been a case, uh, clearly not because we've already done the first series, but <laughs> of a king dying whilst the queen was pregnant... So then they don't, they don't go about setting up, you know, the, a queen regent or anything, mm. and the baby is pronounced king or queen on birth. Well, when Alexander III of Scotland died in 1286, mm. there was a long delay when it seems like his oh, yeah. wife was pregnant, but yeah. either she miscarried or the child was still mm. born. There wasn't ultimately an heir, but it seems like they were waiting because I they see, thought there yeah. might be. I forgot about that. That was very sad. Now... Mary Queen of Scots, a very famous figure, but does that mean you're going to be able to predict what she looks like on the Heritage Limited playing card? Well, I already gave a bit away Mm. in that I think maybe she um, is big in name, stature, and I'm I'm imagining, Mm. you know the famous portrait of Elizabeth I with the big rough and flouncy dress? Yeah. Brown hair. Mm. That's it. There you go. Let's see. Okay, well, actually, really, really, really quite wrong. Um, <laughs> we got, uh, I mean, same, same sort of dress, so that can be assumed. Uh, no rough, quite attractive with ginger hair. Mm, or auburn. Auburn perhaps. hair, as, as most ginger people describe their own hair. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's got auburn hair. She's sort of praised for her very um, smooth, sort of marble pale skin. Very, very mm. popular in the time, wasn't it? Hence the extremely um, popular. Yeah. What did they put that stuff on their faces that made them go pockmarked? Was it like a lead or a lead based lead something? Sort of based something yeah. Awful. Uh, yeah. Now you are correct. However, she uh, she was very tall. Um, apparently, nearly six foot tall. Wow, that is tall. I mean, that's tall. That's tall for a man in that era. I mean, if she had been five foot four, that would have been thought quite tall. Really? For a lady, so nearly six foot is really, really big. That's very tall for a woman now. Hmm. Mm. Um, she was considered a very pretty child and beautiful as a woman. Mm. Um, said to have stooped in her youth. Mm. Something that you were talking about. Yes, I was. I'm wearing my corrective <laughs> posture gear. <Yeah. laughs> I've given up. I was saying to Graham earlier, I recently had a birthday. And I think that means I've now given up all pretense on call. It's all about practicality. But initially, she is not six foot tall. Initially, <laughs> she is just a little baby. <laughs> so there is going to be a minority. And unfortunately for Scotland, it's quite a chaotic one. Kel surprise. The rough wooing. So, James V dies in 1542. He'd not left a will, and it wasn't clear who should actually be in charge. Mm. So, some of the key people in Scotland, we've got Mary of Guise, his widow, Mary's mother. She'd only just given birth, obviously, with Mary, Queen of Scots, being uh, six days old. Yeah. Doesn't have a lot of experience of Scotland, and um, although she's quite capable, the Scots are a bit wary of foreign female regents after Margaret Tudor. Yeah, but, I mean, their track record themselves, Mm. fighting amongst themselves, is bad. Uh, Anyway, she, being French, um, is very keen to ensure that the old alliance with Mm. France remains, so she's Catholic, pro-French. Um, Cardinal Beaton is also Catholic and pro-French. He is uh, Scotland's only cardinal, mm. and he's an arch-Catholic, so he's quite a... Uh, Hardcore. Um, he claims that James V told him just before he died that actually he wanted him to be regent. Oh, right, that's handy. Uh, but this was quite strongly disputed by his <laughs> rivals. Um, 
particularly uh, disputing Beaton's case is the Earl of Arran. Mm-hmm. Now, he is the most senior noble in Scotland, and he's actually next in line to the throne after Mary. I smell trouble. Mm. Um, he's got very strong dynastic ambitions. He's definitely got his eye on the crown, which mm-hmm. I suppose you would do if the only person ahead of you is a six-day-old girl. But you'd also think that if, if that person in front of you was a six-day-old girl, it would naturally fall to you. The regency, yeah, but actually the crown itself no. is not that yeah. far, but it's not that far away. Mm. Um, he is also Protestant. Ah. And very much pro-English, so he is going to seek help from Henry VIII to pursue his he, ambitions. I'm going to say now, he is going to win. We also have the Earl of Lennox. Now, he is next in line after Aaron, mm. the Hamilton family. He'd been exiled in France, but is sent back by Francis I to help sort of be a bit of a bulwark against the Anglophiles in the Scottish mm. court. Um, he's also claiming that the Earl of Arran is illegitimate, because there's a bit of a question mark about his father's marriage, <laughs> in which case Lennox will be yeah. the man very close to the throne. Obviously, there's something of a rivalry going on there. Yeah. So we've got the Scots quite divided. Arran, as you're predicting, is the one who's initially able to make himself regent. Definitely. But the real power at uh, play in Scotland at this time is the hammer of the Scots, Henry VIII. Oh, come off it. <laughs> He wishes. There's only one man with that title, and it's carved on his tomb. So, Henry is actually in a very strong position. He's got a son now, the future Edward VI. Yeah, he's made up. He's just enjoyed a military victory at Solway Moss against the Scots. He's got a lot of prisoners. Because remember, actually, there weren't many deaths at Solway Moss. Everybody surrendered. So he's got all these nobles that he's got imprisoned in England that he's now going to bribe to be on his side. He's facing a baby queen in Mm. Scotland. And uh, Scotland, of course, is seriously divided, both in politics, because of the dynastic rivalries, but also religion, because we've got Catholics and we've got Protestants. That's looking very good for Henry, isn't it? Looking very good. And it's rather reminiscent of the situation in 1286, as we mentioned, when Alexander III died. Mm. So initially, Edward I thinks, well, I'm going to marry my son, the future Edward II, to Mary, uh, to Margaret, and as a result, will effectively bring Scotland into England's dominion. Yeah. When Margaret dies... Edward just basically conquers Scotland for a time. Yeah, I'll have that. So so that's what Henry VIII is going to do. He sorry. wants to marry Mary to Edward, bring her to Scotland for her education, and either rule... Well, he will effectively rule Scotland through her and either take the throne for himself or yeah. his son, Edward, will... Look straight forward. Exactly. Mm. So he has to make sure that this is popular in Scotland. So he bribes them, he entertains them. Effectively, he's got a full-on fifth column yeah. in Scotland. So he's not just bribing them, he's literally re- regular wages. And he's <laughs> even offering insurance against losses if their territory is attacked by uh, Catholic rivals. So this is quite open. Everyone will know who these people are if they've just sort of come back and say, where have you been? <laughs> oh, just, uh, yeah, we escaped. <laughs> yeah, we escaped. What's all that money? Got, got took this with me and that... <laughs> So, Aaron, the Earl of Aaron, very much Henry's man, and he is appointed by Henry as governor of Mm. the kingdom. Henry is initially hoping Mary will die and he'll just completely take over for himself, so he starts putting about that he's heard that Mary's quite sickly a child and like to die. Oh, in preparation for killing her? Well, maybe he's just hoping for it, in the way that Margaret the Maid of Norway, obviously. (laughs) Why would you say that if you weren't planning to sort of poison her sprouts. But his ambassador in Scotland, Sir Ralph Sandler, reported in March 1543 that she was as goodly a child as I have seen of her age and like to live. <laughs> so, plan B. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have the Treaty of Greenwich, where Mary is going to be betrothed to Edward. Um, Scotland will break the old alliance 
and Henry is going to be dominant and free to invade France for himself. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Henry's got this Treaty of Greenwich. He's very happy about it, but unfortunately, not for the first time, he's a little too high-handed. Oh. We said before, with James IV and James V, when he's trying to get them on side, he's really all stick and no carrot. <laughs> he doesn't really offer them no. anything no. in return. The irony, given that this is a ginger family. Indeed. Um, so, ultimately, he just irritates them, and actually public opinion moves back towards an alliance with France against England. And, of course, they've got that memory of what happened when Margaret, the maid of Norway, died and Edward I swanned mm. in. Unless the six-month-old, or the six-day-old, sorry, in this mm. situation were a boy mm. and Henry was trying to marry off his only daughter or something, mm. would you think then there might be more enthusiasm from every other quarters in Scotland? Well, so when Ralph Sadler's asking a chap at the Scottish court, Adam of Otterburn, you know, saying, come on, why don't you guys get behind this? You need to sign the treaty because yeah. they haven't ratified the treaty yet. Uh, Adam replies, Our people do not like of it. I pray you give me leave to ask you a question. If your lad was a lass and our lass were a lad, would you then be so earnest in this matter? Uh To which the uh, obviously not given reply is, Well, no. (laughs) That's not the (laughs) point. (laughs) I'm not answering hypothetical questions. (laughs) So yes, Scotland um, doesn't want an English king basically to just take over, or an English prince. They know what this means. They've been here before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is hilarious that in in the end, that is exactly what happens to England Hmm. because of all of this. It's a delicious irony, really. Now, Mary of Guise has been lying low a little bit uh, to get the line of the land. She's just given birth. just given birth, indeed, but she's now started to play a much stronger role. She knows that the Earl of Arran is conniving with Henry VIII, but she's got a bit of an advantage over him because she has Mary in her possession. Right. And in minorities, possession of the child king, yeah, or in this yeah. case queen, is always quite mm. important. So she starts playing Aaron at his own game. Mm. Um, she lulls Sadler, the English ambassador, into a bit of a false sense of security by meeting with him and being really positive about the idea of Mary going to England and marrying Edward and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. She starts undermining Aaron, claiming that he's got his own ambitions, he wants to be king for himself, you can't trust him. That's true though, isn't it? Yes, it is true. I mean, to be fair, Henry's also planning on cutting Aaron out (laughs) and making himself king, but nevertheless. Um, So Mary's negotiating. Henry's a bit irritated because he just wants to get to invade France again. (laughs) So he compromises and agrees that Mary can stay in Scotland until she's 10 years old. Okay. Which gives Mary of Guise a massive amount of time to play with now to shore up Mm. her position. She had been in Linlithgow Palace, which wasn't very easy to defend, but she's then able to move to Stirling Castle, which is a much yeah. stronger fortress. Mm. And with all the stuff that's going on, all of Henry VIII's demands and this sort of thing, public opinion very much has moved away from the Earl of Arran and the pro-English position. Right, OK. So Arran cuts his losses and releases Cardinal Beaton and is now anti-English. <laughs> Michael, release the Arch-Cardinal! <laughs> So, the Treaty of Greenwich is rejected. The Scots are not going to allow... At all. They've just, not at all. They've now rejected the treaty entirely. Okay. Isn't Henry going to be... Well, so, first of all, Mary is crowned Queen of, uh, of mm. England. <laughs> He's really annoyed about that. <laughs> Mary is crowned Queen of Scots on the 30th anniversary of the Battle of Flodden. Mm. She's so small, she's obviously got to sit on her mother's knee for the whole ceremony. It's the first time that the newly uh, created Honours of Scotland that James V uh, put together get to be used in a coronation. So the Earl of Arran holds the crown, the Earl of Lennox holds the sceptre, the Earl of Argyll holds a sword, and then Cardinal Beaton holds the crown over her head, because obviously it's too big to actually put on, 
anoints her with the holy oil. And apparently when the scepter was held near to her, little baby Mary reached forward and grabbed at it. Looks like a big rattle, doesn't it? Which everyone thought was a very good sign. So, that's all good. Okay. Mary's queen and everybody's delighted. Right. Except for Henry VIII. Big old Henry. He's always got a beef on. He is not pleased, to put it mildly. Um, He tells the citizens of Edinburgh that he would exterminate them. Uh, to the third and fourth generations, if oh. they resisted. Wow, that's horrid. And he sends um, Edward Seymour, the Earl of uh, Hartford, up in 1544. Seymour burns all of the houses within the suburbs and city walls of Edinburgh. Isn't able to get into the castle, but otherwise just completely lays waste to the city. Captures a couple of the Scottish ships, the Unicorn and Salamander, and then lays the lowlands to waste as well. Because they wouldn't marry... On. Married to Edward. Yes, yeah, so Henry is basically just trying to force them to do it. So this is where we get the idea of the rough wooing. <laughs> I see. Just enforcing the Scots to ratify the Treaty of Greenwich. That's horrible. I mean, he's not... He's a bit like Kim Jong-un or Trump at the moment, isn't he? Just talking about this annihilation, but actually going through with it. Are there any other English kings that have done this sort of thing in Scotland and this sort of but scenario with, that we can... Uh, yeah, but not with such... I mean, he would have done it with a little bit... He'd have, he would have done it like James Bond. He'd have done it... Like done it, <laughs> done it yeah, exactly. Or like 1970s James Bond saying, hmm, should have taken that off the grill or something like that after he did it. Uh, Henry VIII's just, you know, a bit moody. The Earl of Lennox switches sides at this point. Apparently mm. he had been hoping to get a marriage to Mary of Guise mm. as part of his ambitions, but when he, that's not going to happen, he instead marries a woman called Margaret Douglas. Now, she is the daughter of Margaret Tudor when she remarried. Oh, the other, the cad. She mm. married a, a real cad. Yeah. So this means that he has now not only got a claim to the Scottish throne, but his son will have a claim mm. to the English throne as well. Ah. So he is now on side with the English. 1546, we have a period of formal peace, but Henry's still rather conniving and interfering. (sighs) He sends a Protestant preacher called George Wishart into Scotland to start spreading the news and Mm. disrupt Cardinal Beaton. Um, He's arrested and uh, burnt at the stake by Cardinal Beaton, but his followers, egged on by Henry VIII, break into St Andrew's Castle, kill Cardinal Beaton. He's had a rough time of it, hasn't he? Hang him naked out of the window. And then they occupy the castle and await reinforcement from England. And Henry, if he, he's nothing but loyal, I imagine they're going to be there right away. I mean, in fairness to Henry VIII, in 1547 he dies. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But in the meantime, he had not quite bothered to send okay. the reinforcements. Yeah, there was a meat pie to be eaten. Sorry, chaps, as the note said. So Edward VI becomes king of England. He's a boy, mm-hmm. older than Mary, but still not very old. So his uncle, Seymour is the Lord Protector, and he decides he's going to continue the rough wooing. That was the Seymour that went off and did all the yes. nastiness. Right? So, well, he's now back in 1547. He defeats the Earl of Arran in the Battle of Pinky Clue, <laughs> devastates uh, Lothian, and establishes about 20 fortresses in southern Scotland. Now, Mary of Guise is at hand, thankfully. She persuades the Earl of Arran to besiege the English headquarters at Haddington, and she also persuades the new King of France, Henri II, to send some reinforcements. Okay. Because if the old alliance is going to be maintained, then the English have got to be defeated. Yeah, and there needs to be some proof to this alliance. They keep just reinforcing it, and their troops don't seem to arrive that often. Well, this time Henry does actually deliver. He sends a lot of troops to France, and in 1548, um, Mary... Queen of Scots is sent to France for her safekeeping. Ah. 
because they think it's far too dangerous for her to be within reach of Somerset of, of Edward Seymour because that's what he's after. If he can, so they're now j- not just trying to get the Scots to agree, but if necessary, they will find Mary and just bring her back by force. Okay. But well. in 1548, she goes to France and is out of reach, mm-hmm. which rather means that the rough wooing is not going to be particularly successful for the English because Mary's no longer actually there to the, be wooed. Yeah, the tricky rough wooing. Very, very tricky. Uh, the French send elite troops in, successfully retake St Andrew's Castle. Uh, rebellions in 1549 in England against some of the Protestant Reformations see uh, Seymour forced to withdraw, in effect, focus on England. He mm. is then actually overthrown and executed. So in 1550, we have the Treaty of Boulogne. English give up the ghost, withdraw from Scotland, and the rough wooing is over. Okay. Mary of Guise takes a lot of the key nobles to France, where Henri II entertains them with a grand triumph in Rouen, celebrating the victories uh, against the English. 1554, Mary of Guise is named the regent. Okay, finally. The Earl of Arran agrees to step down in return for being made the Duke of Châtelroux. Mary in France! So, all this action's been going on. We've not been talking a lot about Mary, Queen of Scots herself. Well, she's... Just been like learning to use a spoon at this age, hasn't she? She has, in yeah. fairness. Um, so initially, she'd been uh, just being sent to places for safety in Scotland, mm. trying to avoid being captured and sent off to England. Initially, in the Priory of uh, Inchmahome uh, on the Lake of Menteith, um, but then it was looking a bit precarious when they were defeated in the Battle of Pinky Close. So, 1548, she goes off to Dumbarton Castle and is sent to France. Right. So she's only and she's- six years old at this point. And she survives death by boat. She does survive death by boat. She impresses the nobles with her composure when boarding the ship, and she's one of the very few on board who are actually immune to seasickness, oh. which is, of course, what killed <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Margaret the Maid of Norway. So that's one uh, potential obstacle cleared. Good. Um, not only is she immune, but she's actually teasing all of her companions on the boat on the way over. So although they praise her for her, her composure on the way in, they like threw her off at the <laughs> other end. <laughs> uh, uh, your Majesty. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it shows you've got a lot of composure even at this young age. Yeah. Because it's quite a scary position. She's being sent away. Her father's dead. She's leaving her mother. All this stuff going on. But you know, but not much tact. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> she is accompanied to France by the four Marys. Are they her teddies? The four Marys. Well, they're four high-born girls, all of her age, all called Mary. That's easy, isn't it? It's very easy, or indeed very complicated, uh. depending on how you look at it. Apparently it's a bit of a cheeky nod to the Three Maries, which is this well-known Catholic devotional manual in uh, in France. But she is Catholic, isn't she? Oh, yes, she is yeah, Catholic, okay. yes, right. absolutely. Now, she's also accompanied by Lord James Stuart, who is her illegitimate half-brother. So he's the son of James V and one of his mistresses, Margaret Erskine. Okay. Now, he uh, is a very capable, very ambitious man who's going to play quite a major role in the reign. Mm. For the moment, he's just a lovely little brother okay. with her, but remember the name. Same age? Uh, older, a bit older. Now, she, at this point, little Rex fact, changes the spelling of the Stuart surname. From? From S-T-E-W-A-R-T yeah. to S-T-U-A-R-T. As we know and love them. Why, why did that happen? Because the French basically have a big trouble dealing with the W. Really? So it was they don't use it, and they're not sure what to do with it. So she just refashions herself as Marie Stewart. <laughs> so on their big fun adventure holiday to the Gap Year in France, yeah, they changed their name. Yeah, still Stuart, but just spelt a bit more easily for the French. 
Fuck. Rex Fax. I have this trouble. They can't. They can't deal with the H in my name. So they just say Grom. Uh, Grom. Stick with G, man. Now, not only has she uh, gone to France, yeah. not only has she been taken into the royal court by Henri the Second, but mm. she is betrothed to the Dauphin. Oh, Henry is going to be. Oh no, he's dead. Uh, yeah, he is dead. Yeah. But nevertheless, the English aren't going to be very happy about mm. this. They wanted Mary to marry their son. Instead, yeah. going to marry the son of the King of France. Um, Henri II sent his flagship to collect Mary, and she's brought up with his children at the French royal court. Oh, creepy. So it's like his, her brother. <laughs> it is a little bit, is a little oh, bit creepy. Um, she's generally a very healthy and robust child, very active, but she does also have episodes of quite serious illness, um, which comes back to her later in life as well, it's particularly when stressed. Oh, well, yeah, that's not going to be good. Then. It's not going to be good. There's going to be quite so a lot of that. It's worse than sort of an anxiety rash. She gets properly ill. She gets some proper illness, okay. yeah. Apparently as a child, she had uh, smallpox. Oh. I mean, this is an illness. I mean, this is an illness. It's not stress. It's just, you know, sweating sickness, mm. both of which she survives. But also heart palpitations. But apparently the doctors blamed excessive eating and prescribed rhubarb. <laughs> I told you she was a big one. <laughs> um, in terms of her education, like Henri's daughter, she enjoys pretty much the same curriculum as the Dauphin. So she learns Latin, Greek, Italian, Spanish... Mm. Speaks fluent French and Scots, obviously. Studied all the great classical authors and learns to imitate their style. And she effectively does a kind of 16th century ruler's vocational degree. Yeah. So it culminates with her delivering an oration that she'd composed in Latin in front of the royal court and the royal family at the Louvre. Goodness me. And that is, I mean, that's, that's as uh, good a Renaissance upbringing as you can get. Yeah, exactly. And indeed, her argument that she's uh, working on is uh, a treatise in favour of women being properly educated in literature and the arts. Oh, brilliant. Um, she's not perhaps, she's not a genius, but she, you know, she works quite hard. Not a natural classicist, but she's pretty good at what she does. She's pretty very, intelligent. Sounds very capable. Pretty well educated. Um, she's also very vivacious, quick-witted and quite charming in person. Mm. And um, Henri II apparently was very uh, taken in by her, so he uh, described her as the most perfect child that I've ever seen. That's quite a compliment, isn't it? And uh, her, Mary's uncle, her on the Guise side of the family, Cardinal of Lorraine, said that the king spends much of his time in chatting with her, sometimes for the space of an hour. She is as well able to entertain him with pleasant and sensible talk as if she were a woman of 25. That, I mean, that doesn't sound unreasonable that... Someone would spend an hour with their relative. Oh, no, they're not related, Prospective relative. Prospective relative, right. Mm. But apparently, because she's just so confident, so witty and able yeah. to talk very well, even though she's quite young, she's got that sort of certain something about her. That yeah, I like her. He's quite entertained by her. Um, now, she's a very impressive young woman, particularly when you compare her to the Dauphin. So whereas Mary is tall and sturdy and very composed and confident, Francis is small, quite weak, and has a bit of a stutter. Oh, poor little bean. But Mary shows him a lot of affection. They do seem to have quite a close relationship. That's lo- you know, I've got um, William the Penguin going around in my mind now. <laughs> They're brother and sister, effectively. And then in 1558, they are actually married. Oh, dear. I mean, it's not... I know it's not actually at the time, but that is scandalous. <laughs> um, she went against the custom of the time by wearing a white dress. Why is that against the custom? I guess at the time they went for more colourful. Yeah, I thought it was a Victorian thing, white dress, yeah. Well, as for the wedding, it is, so it wasn't very traditional at the time. Apparently she liked white because it suited her complexion, and obviously her auburn hair as well. 
Um, but it's adorned with diamonds and jeweled embroidery. Her hair is hung loose, which apparently is also quite an unusual choice. And she was wearing a crown with a huge jewel in the right in the middle. And she really steals the show. She's the one. She is the one that everybody is looking at. She, she's six foot tall. She must look like yeah. a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> a giant jewel in the centre of her head. So at this point. Everything is looking pretty amazing. She's married to the Dauphin. She's got this wonderful education. She's tall. She's confident. She's beautiful. She's got the world at her feet. Quick uh, practical question. Mm. So are we to assume then that once she's married the Dauphin, is she going to be Queen of France married to the Dauphin or is she going to be Queen of Scots and the Dauphin is her king in the, in Scotland? Does Will one have to take precedence? Because we haven't had that yet, have we? Well, let's find out. Okay. The Scottish Reformation! Now, at this point, we're going to head back to England because things have been a bit chaotic. Okay. And it is going to have a pretty big impact on Mary's life. Do we need a cup of tea for this? Uh, We're okay for now. Okay, But maybe uh, maybe after this one. (laughs) Restock. Henry VIII. Yeah. You've got his card. You're going to need to be... uh, Oh, we can look at him, admire him for a moment longer, but not for too long. (laughs) What thighs? Key thing that he does, religious-wise, is he breaks from the Church of Rome and establishes himself as the head of the Church of England. Yes. Dissolves the monasteries. Mm -hmm. He's never quite actually himself a full-on Protestant as such, but he... Because he's still a bit Catholic in his tendencies. He gave it up for the for to get his way. Yes. And which meant embracing some of this hardline fire and brimstone people, mm. yeah. So at the end of his reign, actually, there's quite a conflict between the Catholics and Protestants at court, and he kind of veers from one to the other. Yeah. And it's all very unstable. However, when he dies in 1547, his son, Edward VI, although a minor, he is a fanatical Protestant. Right. Very, very sure of himself in terms of what he wants. The Book of Common Prayer... Um, is produced during Edward's reign. He's of the much more austere variety of Protestantism, so, you know, getting rid of all of the... Bells and spells. Bells and spells and all that sort of stuff. Um, Unfortunately, he dies uh, in 1553 when he's only 15 years old. How long was he on the throne? Five Uh, years? For six years. Well, five and a bit years. Now, when it comes to the succession, Henry VIII had determined that it would go Edward VI, Mary Tudor, Elizabeth Tudor i.e. his children, the son yeah. first and then the daughters yeah. in order of age. Yeah. But Edward thinks, well, I don't want Mary to be queen because she's a Catholic. Mm. And I can't really justify excluding her and then it go to Elizabeth. So he does a new will, excludes both of his sisters, and instead passes the throne to Lady Jane Grey, who is Protestant. Yes. Unfortunately for Lady Jane Grey, she only manages to last out for nine days before she is uh, replaced by Mary Tudor (laughs) and is subsequently executed. So, 1553, Mary Tudor becomes Mary I of England and she restores Catholicism to England. Mm. And she also marries Philip II of Spain. So we now have this alliance between England and Spain. So England is now just Catholic again. It was like a bad dream. Exactly. It's all a bad dream. Unfortunately, there are quite a few Protestants around, and Mary becomes a bit notorious for burning quite a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. But then she dies without any children in 1558, just five years later, and is succeeded by Elizabeth I. Protestant. Elizabeth is Protestant, but she is rather less radical than either of her two siblings. So in 1558-59, she secures a bit more of a moderate religious settlement, but it is nevertheless Protestant. Elizabeth is the daughter of Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII's second wife, the one for whom he broke yeah. with Rome and all this sort of thing. It makes sense for her to be Protestant, wouldn't it? Now, Catholics in Europe never acknowledged 
the legitimacy of A, Henry VIII annulling his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, and B, marrying Anne Boleyn. Mm. Consequently, Catholics in Europe think that Elizabeth I is not legitimate. Yeah. And after Elizabeth I, the person with the next best claim to the English throne is... This lady right here. Mary, Queen of Scots. Mm. So, this means that not only is there a sort of rivalry that people like to paint because they're of similar age and they're queens at the same time, but actually Mary is a direct dynastic rival to the English throne. With big, powerful friends in and family now in France and Europe. Exactly, and this is why... Henri II is, has been so keen to bring Mary into the fold, and it's all worked out beautifully for him. He was alarmed when Mary Tudor married Philip II of Spain, because mm. that meant that his Spanish rival was suddenly owning England. Mm. Now, it's coming back to him. So when Elizabeth becomes queen, he basically declares Mary, uh, Queen of Scots, as the Queen of England. What, what rights has he got to do that? Like, no one had recognised that, would they? Like, well, just... he's just declaring it. So the royal arms of Mary and Francis are emblazoned with the English royal insignia, oh. insignia, as well as the Scottish and the French, and he sends delegates off to the papacy to get the Pope to recognise Mary, Queen of Scots, as Queen of England instead of Elizabeth. Right. Okay, so stirring up the Catholics in England and all that sort of life. Exactly. So Henri II's basically got this vision of a sort of Franco-British empire, because in the person of Mary, Queen of Scots, you've got the Queen Regnant of Scotland, yeah, Queen Regnant potentially of England, and the Queen Consort of France. Mm. So by marrying her to his son, he's bringing three kingdoms... i tell you what, Spain looks like it's an awful lot of trouble. Well, exactly. And as a result, this is why we get a rather odd situation where Elizabeth is championed by Philip II of Spain. Who was her... Brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. So although Philip II of Spain is Catholic, he is the rival king to Henri II of France. So he desperately wants to avoid Mary Queen of Scots becoming Queen of England because that means that France gets to completely dominate Europe. Even though... Even though Mary, Queen of Scots, is Catholic, Catholic. and Elizabeth is Protestant, he would rather have a bulwark against the the French than have a Catholic... So it is still all power, isn't it? Although there is this religious thing, Mm. it's actually just power. Exactly. So he intervenes to prevent the Pope recognising Mary as Queen of England... Um, he'd also supported Elizabeth when Mary was considering Mary Tudor was considering executing her during her reign. Philip was the one that said, "Nope, you're not killing Elizabeth <laughs> because because come because don't do it. That's a horrible thing to do." Or you know, but if you die and you've killed her, then that means there's going to be another Catholic on the throne. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. Imagine, yeah, right. Okay. It's, it's bad to have a Protestant on the throne, but it's worse to have a French Catholic on the throne. That's the problem. So if you were a British per- an English person at this time, hmm. what's worse, a Catholic or a Frenchman? <laughs> or a French woman? Well, in England, yeah. it depends if you're Protestant or if you're Catholic. So if you're Catholic, you probably do quite like the idea of Mary Queen of Scots coming over, because you'd uh. recognise her as being the legitimate heir. But if you're a Protestant, like William Cecil, then you do not like the idea of Mary Queen of Scots. Mm. William Cecil is basically Elizabeth's chief minister, mm. and he is a radical Protestant. And he is very alarmed when we have this announcement of Mary as effectively the Queen of England. And he basically sees Mary Queen of Scots as his nemesis. Mm. And even before Mary's got any idea, she doesn't isn't in charge at this point. She's still a teenager. She's not even actually Queen Consort of France yet. Even before she knows who William Cecil is, he is already plotting 
to destroy her. He sounds like a lovely man. He's lived through Mary Tudor and the Catholic mm. Restoration. The yeah. last thing he wants is another Catholic Mary coming along and yeah. causing all of this chaos. Yeah. So that's all to look forward to for Mary. Okay. But Elizabeth becoming Queen of England, being Protestant, is also a big boost for the Protestants in Scotland. Yes, yes, because you're back having uh, a Henry figure down south. Because mm. there was quite a missed opportunity with Mary Tudor as Queen, because at that point you've got Mary of Guise, a Catholic regent of Scotland, and Mary Tudor, a Catholic Queen of England. Yeah. But because Mary Tudor is aligned to uh, Spain, yeah. and Mary of Guise is aligned to France, yeah. there's no coordination. Mm. So you could have had this sort of pan-British Catholic restoration. So before, there mm. was always, it was just quite simple power politics of a triangle between France uh, uh, England and Spain with Scotland you know trying to buy them all (laughs) off against each other now it's there's also the layer of religion on top and the sides keep switching I mean these two my right hand Mm. here is always France and Spain are always Catholic but oh it does my nut so it's this ridiculous scenario we've got two Catholic Marys ruling England and Scotland but because of the international development, they don't work together. Yeah, and and then meanwhile, the other option, also a woman, hmm. Protestant Elizabeth. I like that now all of these people have to swallow the fact that there is going to be <laughs> yeah. a queen. Right? Yeah. That is just, that's given now. Yeah. You have to decide what's worse, hmm. a queen who's Protestant or a queen who's foreign or yeah, a queen who's Catholic. Exactly. Or all three. Can't it's deal. tricky, tricky, tricky. Now, in 1559... Henri II of France is killed in a freak jousting accident when he's just 40 <laughs> years old. I wasn't expecting that. That is as unexpected to me, that sentence, as it was to him, I imagine. Indeed. So, Francis II, at just 15 years old, becomes... Well, Francis becomes Francis II, at just 15 oh, they, years old. Oh, they're married at this point. They are married. Okay. So, Francis is now King of France, and Mary is now the Queen Consort of France. God, yeah, powerful. Very powerful. Um, but Mary and Francis aren't really running the show, and instead it's her Guise uncles who are the ones that are actually in charge. They are arch-Catholics. Right. All of this causes a certain amount of um, suspicion in France. Why? Uh, sorry, in Scotland. Okay, yeah. Because we've got this fear that Scotland is basically just going to become a satellite of France. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which was absolutely Henry II's uh, stated aim. (laughs) When she married Francis, she signed a secret treaty, which is kind of known about, it's rumoured, its contents in Scotland, that if she dies childless, the kingdom will just be given to her husband. And there's all these quite fighty nobles in Scotland who want a chance to kill each other over it. Yes, and you've got a quite a lot of fighty Protestant nobles in Scotland mm. as well. So are we seeing... Oh, at this point, she's consort of France. Mary Queen of Scots is consort of France. But there's still a regency in in Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. How is she allowing that? Wouldn't she feel like... If she's consort of France, mm. she must think she's got the time to take on being... Queen of Scotland as well, isn't she? Well, I mean, she's still not yet 18. You, um, But we can assume then that this satellite status is starting to be implemented a bit. There's a, certainly there's a fear of this. So actually okay. the Scots reject um, a previous promise that Francis would get to have the crown matrimonial, i.e. that they would be king and queen of Scotland. Right. So the Scots say, no, you're not having that, because they really do fear that France are just going to take them over. So you wouldn't have a William and Mary situation? Would not have a William and Mary situation, which maybe had been planned, but the Scots are resisting. 
Now, Scottish Catholicism, as we said, doesn't quite have the strong leadership after Cardinal Beaton. We haven't had that rejuvenation if we'd had the two Marys working together in the 1550s. Yeah. And the Protestants are very much on the up. Yeah. And a particularly important chap is John Knox. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a follower of uh, George Wishart, who was the one that Cardinal Beaton had burnt at the stake. Um, and he was one of the ones in St Andrew's Castle resisting in that siege. Oh, right. Now, he was actually captured by the French and made a galley slave for 18 months. Wow, that's a real thing. That only happened th- in Asterix books. <laughs> no, it's a real thing. Now, he is a proper radical Protestant. He actually found Edward VI England a bit too moderate for his liking and so went off <laughs> into Europe. He goes to Geneva, follows John Calvin. Ah. He of the uh, Calvinism yeah. fame. And Hobbes. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Though that is where he got his name. Mm. And then in 1558, John Knox publishes the notorious The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. They didn't have... Publishers were less keen on marketing issues, were they? They didn't think this won't stand out on the bookshelf. <laughs> got to get it out for Christmas. Um, and in this book, he denounces female, and i.e. Catholic, rulers, arguing that... Uh, citizens have a right to resist their ruler if they're not adhering to the right religion. Uh. Now, he writes this while in exile for Mary Tudor. It's a bit awkward for him when Elizabeth, a Protestant, becomes queen and then he heads back to England and she's not that pleased to see him. But can't he just put in all his books after Queen and then say Catholic Queen? He does try to make that argument, but Elizabeth isn't really having any of it and basically sends him packing to Scotland. Now, it's quite an opportune moment for him to have returned to Scotland because the Protestants are starting to rise. In 1557, we have a bond signed by various Protestant nobles to oppose French rule and spread the Protestant faith, and they call themselves the Lords of the Congregation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, in 1559, they're able to start making a patriotic appeal because you've got Mary of Guise, a French woman as regent. You've got their queen married to the King of France, and they've got these rumours of a secret deal to give the kingdom away. Now there is a patriotic appeal, and it's Protestant. Okay, so uh, patriotism is back now. It is, for the time being, convenient to To play the patriotic (laughs) John Knox comes back to Scotland, and at the height of the religious tensions, um, preaches a sermon in Perth, uh, urging Protestants to cleanse their temples, to get rid of all the popery, um, all the uh, bells and spells, as you put it. Um, so we effectively have sort of Protestant mobs um, all across Scotland attacking friaries, attacking Catholic symbols, uh, ritually drowning, you know, crucifixes, crucifixes and things like this. God, it, sound, it sounds so ludicrous, but then, you know, it's still happening today. Indeed. Now, Mary of Guise treats this as a riot and rather overplays her hand a bit. She uses French troops to try and put them down. Oh, error. So now we've got the French regent using French troops to put down... The Protestants who are saying, isn't it awful, we've got all these Frenchies. Yeah. Doesn't go down very well. It's a Northern Ireland-Britain situation. It is indeed. One of the most senior nobles in the country, Lord James Stuart, the half-brother that we mentioned before, Mm. he decides she's gone too far and he joins the Lords of the Congregation and he writes to William Cecil in England urging him to send support for the Protestants. So, William Cecil doesn't need to be asked twice. So in 1560, um, England send a fleet to help attack the French garrisons and they sign a treaty of mutual aid with the Protestant lords of the congregation. Now, France is rather less inclined to intervene at this point because they've got their own issues to deal with now that Henri II is dead. 
Oh, yeah. They've yeah, got yeah, their yeah, own yeah. religious tensions yeah. that's starting to develop. The Guise uncles of Mary are at odds with Catherine de' Medici, who is mm. the Queen Mother. Oh, right. Didn't realise he had a Medici involved there. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mary of Guise is struggling to achieve a settlement, and she's also, unfortunately, suffering ill health. So, um, in uh, in June of 1560, her enemies, um, quite a sign of respect, all come to actually pay their last respects to her in the midst of this civil war. <laughs> they all pop in to say, sorry you're dying. Yeah. And indeed, she does die of dropsy. What is dropsy? Um, I'm not sure it's sort of, like, sort of build up a fluid in the legs and all sorts of Yeesh. nasty... I mean, it- it it sounds a lot more serious than its comical name suggests. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, she's not just sort of flapping around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dropsy. <laughs> <laughs> Poor apology to any dropsy sufferers out there. With the death of Mary of Guise the Regent, the pro-French, pro-Catholic um, forces in Scotland mm. really lose the leadership they needed. So mm. we have the Treaty of Edinburgh in 1560. France agreed to recognise Elizabeth as the rightful Queen of England, yeah, and withdraw all of their troops from Scotland. Uh, just where's Mary at this point? Where's Mary? She's in France. This is all done without her or Francis being consulted at all. That's what surprised me: her lack of involvement at this. It's because she's still a teenager, so she basically there's a minority in France as well as Scotland. So wherever she goes, it's a minority. Her husband's a minor. Mm. She's a minor. But it, it wouldn't. Some other kings and queens that we've seen, it wouldn't. That wouldn't have stopped them. Like Henry the Second, imagine that. Though he was a man, I mean, even Elizabeth the First, she, she, I imagine she's she in her twenties when she becomes queen, though, rather yeah, than six yeah. days old. <laughs> and also, Francis the Second is not the strongest of yeah. um, individuals. So maybe if he was this really sort of burly, you know, yeah. after his rights, he'd have been forcing the way. But okay, I'll cut nice. her some a little bit of slack. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's going to be a council of nobles ruling in Mary's absence because, to be fair, they probably expect her never to come back. They probably think yeah. it's going to be a permanent settlement, so they're going to rule yeah, know, yeah. in the name without her being there. Mary and Francis are required to ratify the treaty at some point, or England might have to intervene to ensure that Scotland does remain Protestant. As in, go up and mm. occupy it. Indeed. And there is a parliament held in Scotland which abolishes the Catholic Mass, denies the Pope's authority, and accepts the Protestant Confession of Faith, a new Presbyterian uh, religion. So the Protestant Reformation has now come to Scotland. This is a, a stunning fall from... How long... What's the time period that we're talking about? From when Henri II had the thought of that Anglo-French-Scottish empire, and he had... Uh, Mary, who was consort and regent in these mm. two places, now all of a sudden that's fallen apart so much that there's been a reformation in Scotland. Is that... From 1558 to 1560, this has all happened. Is that is that his ineptitude? Or... Well, he dies, to be fair to him. Oh, yeah. That was quite a, a uh, crucial so... <laughs> reason that <laughs> yeah. he wasn't able to he see is... his <laughs> plans through. Tell you what, he, he did not see that through. But... Uh, there was must have been others in France who saw what a great situation they're in and let it go. Was it just the infighting so no one could keep their it's own? It's the infighting. Ball? So we've got Catherine de Medici fighting against the Guise people. We've got Protestants in France as well who are starting to resist. And the Protestants in England taking their chance. And, you know, Philip II of Spain is actually kind of starts to work with Catherine de Medici against the Guise figures. Because and the and Elizabeth. 
Yeah, so it's all sorts of chaos going on, and France isn't really able to help in the way that they had been before. So they go from basically thinking we're going to rule the world yeah. to being nobody bother us. We've got so much got on our plate. Headache. Yeah. And what has happened there is they've got to the top level on stakes and ladders and hit that giant <laughs> one that takes you all the way back to the bottom right. Oh, it's a nice alternative to Red Alert as a. <laughs> yeah, finally. This week, Graham, I've been playing a lot of stakes and ladders. <laughs> So it's an incredibly chaotic period for, well, basically everybody in Europe, but we think we've lost um, Henri II, Mary of Guise, we've got a Protestant Reformation that happens in Scotland, we've only just had it in England, which has been Mm. going to and fro in all sorts of places. Mm. And I'm afraid the upheaval is not finished yet. I'm going to need a cup of tea. Personal rule! So... As we said, lots of upheavals, but there's an even bigger one coming for Mary because only four months after the Reformation Parliament, her husband, Francis II, dies. Oh! Came home after hunting, complaining of an ear infection, but then it uh, escalates. Yeah, yeah. Um, possibly an abscess on the brain or something. Oh, my word. Like that. Um, Mary nurses him, along with uh, Catherine de Medici, the mother, um, but when Francis dies... Catherine has had her fill of Mary and the Guise uncles. She wants her out. Uh, okay, yeah, because she's very. There's that rivalry. Okay, but does she have any position? Is she still like queen? She's still queen mother because um, it's now going to be a younger brother of Francis who becomes king. Oh uh, yeah, because they've got no children. And right. Catherine de Medici doesn't really want Mary to marry mm. the next one, which might the Guise brothers might have wanted. So she kind of wants her out. Consequently, yeah. Mary's going to have to return to Scotland. Right. Before, oh, where well, there's just been a Reformation. Where well, there's just oh. been a Reformation and it's all Protestanty. Oh, man. Bit orcs. Yeah. Now, before she goes back, she receives various embassies, people that want stuff from her. <laughs> First up, the English. Mm. Uh, Nicholas Throckmorton is sent to see Mary in France and requests that she ratifies the Treaty of Edinburgh. Which was her marrying Edward, but Edward's dead, didn't it? No, that was Treaty of Greenwich. Oh, yeah. The Treaty of Edinburgh is the one where the French recognise Elizabeth as rightful Queen of oh, England yeah. and yeah. agree to uphold Protestantism in Scotland. Wasn't she and her husband having to ratify that at some point anyway? So they just want her to actually yes. go ahead and do that. Right. Mary isn't keen on the idea, frankly, Mm. as you might expect. Mm. Um, But she's trying to play for time because she wants to develop a good relationship with Elizabeth I. So she Mm. doesn't want to completely upset her. So she rather cannily says that she couldn't possibly act without having had the advice of her nobles in Scotland. Mm. How could I be signing this major important treaty? Mm. Haven't had a chance to go home yet. Cecil doesn't treat that as a very fair response. And he thinks this is hostile. This means she wants to take the throne. Yeah. Kill the Catholic. Which she doesn't at this point. I I imagine she's just trying to get some stability. Mm. She then receives a couple of embassies from Scotland. Mm. The first one is a Catholic embassy. Mm. Because there are still Catholics in Scotland. In fact, probably most of the population is probably still Catholic. But there are still Catholic nobles. Uh, The Bishop of Ross comes along and proposes that Mary lands in Aberdeen and then an army of about 20,000 will rise under her and the Earl of Huntley, the major Catholic noble of Scotland, will lead the army sweeping south to destroy the Protestants. So he's saying, here's an idea, start Mm. a civil war. Yeah. When everyone potentially hates her anyway because she's French and represents everything... Yes, but if most of the population, and particularly in the north and northeast, is actually still kind of Catholic, maybe it's a chance while the Protestant Reformation is still young and vulnerable 
nip it in the bud. Okay, I'm guessing she's going to turn this down. The next embassy is Protestant, and it's her half-brother, Lord James Stuart. Mm -hmm. He urges her to accept the religious and political status quo, and basically just leave everything as it is. Sensible. So he says, above all things, madam, press no matters of religion. Mm. Leave it be. Um, In return for that, she gets to rule in Scotland, and she will still be allowed to practice um, as a Catholic in private, but the country will remain ostensibly Protestant. So it's like a don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. Mary sensibly chooses the compromise route. Right, yeah. Um, So she comes back to Scotland. She only brings quite a small household and uh, quite a small embassy. She doesn't want to bring loads and loads of French people and, you know, Mm. cause a bit of an incident. Um, Unfortunately, it's an incredibly quick return. It only took five days, which at the time, with, you know, not quite the big... uh, Mm. powered ships that we used to now is pretty much nearly a record consequently nobody's ready to welcome her that is that's like 600 miles odd isn't it five or six hundred mm. hundred miles a day yeah crikey yeah wind was very much in her favor but no one's ready she's so early they're not actually prepared for the welcome brilliant committee. brilliant uh, so she has to wait around for a while but eventually she is able to ride into edinburgh in a very grand procession to a great acclaim people are celebrating their banquets and bonfires and all sorts of celebrations going mm-hmm. on even john knox has to admit that people are quite happy about this <laughs> um not everybody's happy though a frenchman in her embassy complained that there were knaves congregating under the, her window at night playing fiddles and singing psalms so badly and out of tune that nothing could be worse Under Mary's window. Yeah, I mean, presumably he's, you know, next door or something nearby. He's just basically hearing lots of drunk people coming home and singing songs. But everything's happy. People are pleased. They've got their queen. Natural order is restored. And it's all good. Mary does accept the religious status quo, and Lord James does support her. So when uh, John Knox made a vehement sermon that one mass was more dangerous than 10,000 armed enemies and incites a mob to march onto her chapel when she's at prayer, taking Mm. the mass, Lord James Stuart is at the door with his sword and he doesn't let them in. Doesn't let... How many people are we talking? I'm not sure. It's, you know, a band of ruffians. But but that's... I mean, he, may, he probably wasn't alone, I imagine he may have. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was imagining him, Rex, back to style, sword aloft, <laughs> you shall not pass! <laughs> so, compromise is working. Um, the only man who isn't happy, of course, as you said, is John Knox. Mm. Um, he's irri- um, And Mary's quite irritated by John Knox, you know, criticising her for her religion. She's, yeah. you know, trying to be nice, she's letting people get on with things, but he keeps banging on at her in his sermons. So she actually summons him for an audience at court. Oh, that's quite cool, isn't it? Like, just what are you playing at? Come on, been, I'm being good here. Well, that's what she tries to go for, but unfortunately she finds that he's not very um, pliable. She accuses him of inciting rebellion against her mother and writing a book against her authority. And um, ultimately he confirms that, yes, subjects have a right to resist their ruler if they aren't upholding the proper religion. This is the start of some free speech. Well, it really is. Um, but he does say that he will suffer uh, her rule provided that she doesn't, you know, alter the religion anyway. And he compares it to St. Paul operating under Nero. Wow. He has got some face on him, hasn't he? Mary will never have been spoken to like this before. Wow, and she'll be fully aware of who Nero was, given her Mm. 
Brilliant. classical upbringing. Mm. But other than John Knox, things are actually going quite well. Um, she's got a pretty broad coalition in her Privy Council. We've got Huntley, who's a Catholic, um, the Earl Bothwell, who is Protestant but vehemently anti-English. Okay. Um, but we've also got Lord James Stuart, her half-brother, the Earl of Arran, still kicking about, yeah. Argyle and Maitland, who are all men of the uh, congregation, lords right. of the congregation. So They're Protestant lot. Protestant lots and a bit more pro-English. So Is that why she, everybody. she couldn't just kill Knox because th- he was Protestant, leading Protestant and... Yeah. It's one of those things where I guess when we come to subjectivity and think, do we praise her for not being a tyrant or do we acknowledge that she's not really in a position of power to be a tyrant? Yeah, we're getting to that point as well, aren't we? Where I just presume I said, why, why don't you just kill him? Yeah. But actually, it's the tide, if not turning, is slowing from uh, absolute rule. We've gone past Henry VIII now. But if she was an arch Protestant and John Knox was a Catholic priest, I think she would have been able to kill him if she wanted to. Right, and probably would have done. Yeah, who knows? I'm not answering hypothetical questions. <laughs> and she is proving, early on, a very uh, very popular ruler. She's pretty courageous. as that fact that she's willing to meet John Knox and yeah. all of this sort of stuff. She's very charming, both in person and also when approaching crowds. Mm. She's got that star quality, oh. dare we say it, but also in person, that kind of Clinton thing of making it feel like you're the only person in the yeah. room. Uh, that matters to her. She presides over a very glamorous court, brings all of her sort of French Renaissance uh, interests. They must have loved that. To the fore. John Knox doesn't like it, no. but otherwise it goes down quite well. Oh. And uh, she goes on numerous progresses across the country. So she's going all around, touring, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles to be seen yeah. by everybody and to get some loyalty to her mm. um, amongst the common people. Yeah, I suppose that after all the upheaval and. Because how many years has it been since uh, the previous James's death? So he died in 1542, and uh, we're now in uh, 1561. So it's, it's like 20 years of not actually having a stable ruler. There might have mm. been... So to have a progress is, is pretty good. And as we said, you know, she's tall, she's beautiful, she's charming. Yeah. And, you know, she's very a- easily able to win people over. Mm. They're charming. Even though she's a queen, there's no other option now. Yeah. Mm. So, things are going pretty well. And now Mary's main policy, other than just, you know, being Queen of Scots, mm. she'd quite like one day to be Queen of England. Oh, she would? She would. Oh. Not in a uh, desperately underhand, you know, conniving way, but... Just, just like, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? Elizabeth doesn't have any children. Somebody's got to be Queen after, or King after her. So Mary wants to be recognised as Elizabeth's heir in England. That's never going to happen. Well... We know, of course, from having studied Elizabeth in the first series, that she desperately avoids naming anybody. Even on her deathbed, yeah. she refuses to name a successor. Yeah. She knows from her own experience of being the heir apparent that all these plots will just emerge around the heir and, you know, it's that sort of setting rising sun scenario. But it's a rubbish tactic because those plots will emerge with to put someone in power. You know, it's just going to happen. Mm. But, you know, people at this point would have assumed that Elizabeth, you know, still young, she'll marry, she'll have children. Yeah. But Mary wants recognition. Mm. And this is a popular thing in Scotland because all of these Protestant nobles who are very pro-English, they also want to have good relationship with England. So it really works for everybody. For Mary, she gets this recognition and it's also a bit of security. If she's recognised as heir of England, that really shores up her position as Queen of Scots as well. Yeah, yeah. 
but, and for the nobles in Scotland who want to have a better relationship with England because it's all lovely and Protestant, they think, well, yeah, wouldn't it be marvellous if we could all be one big happy family? Wouldn't it? But presumably there's the massive opposition from England to having a Catholic back on the throne. That is the problem. Um, so Mary sends um, Maitl- Earl Maitland to go and negotiate with Elizabeth. Now, obviously, William Cecil, as we've mentioned, the whole nemesis thing, is definitely, definitely, definitely against this. Yeah. But actually, Elizabeth is not so dead set against the idea. Ah. She does really believe in this sort of proper, you know, divine right of monarchs and the legitimate succession, and she hates the Grey sisters, so the surviving sisters of Lady Jane Grey. She really doesn't like them. So they're Protestants, and Cecil thinks they should be next, but Elizabeth doesn't like them. Mm. She thinks that actually Mary's got the best claim. Right. And she's quite sympathetic. And she can also, obviously, there's a similarity in their two respective positions as queens in men's world, etc. Mm-hmm. So she unsympathises mm-hmm. with Mary a bit. But Cecil does not. So he <laughs> demands that if she's going to even think about having this discussion, that she needs to ratify the Treaty of Edinburgh, yeah, the one that Mary has refused previously to do. And at the meantime, he's also really trying to get Elizabeth to marry so that none of this yeah, yeah. matters at all. Is he still trying to poison her sprouts? Um, he's not at the moment trying to poison her sprouts, but um, he's got his spies in Scotland. He's got okay. people who are reporting things to him, so he's got an eye on her. Because if she's going to get... <clears throat> death <laughs> now <laughs> he'll be in a, a official spectacular way <laughs> he would be very pleased yeah. so we have negotiations now at the moment they're really struggling the scots to make any headway mm. so maitland and um lord james stewart team up and take a sort of tag team approach to elizabeth and cecil so they write firstly to suggest that we've got a massive problem here mr william cecil because we're trying to be all lovely and protestant but we've got this queen mary who is young and beautiful and charming she just has to you know batter eyelashes yeah. and the people will fall in sway with her yeah. if you keep pushing then oh i don't know how we're going to stop her bringing catholicism back oh, yeah and then Lord James Stewart says, maybe there could be a middle way where we renegotiate the Treaty of Edinburgh. Mary agrees to stay proper, good, and letting us be Protestant, recognises Elizabeth as a legitimate ruler, but you will say, if the worst comes to the worst, Mary would be next in line. Elizabeth is kind of sympathetic to this, because she kind of knew that the Treaty of Edinburgh was done in a very underhand way, and mm. it's kind of a bit unfair to make Mary ratify this anyway. She thinks, mm. OK, maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's a good idea. But then she thinks, actually, I don't really want to name anybody yeah. as heir, even though you're probably the best person mm. I could name, mm. but I don't want to name anybody. But Mary thinks if she could just see Elizabeth in person... They've never met. Oh, they've never, no, they've never met. Well, huh. Mary's been in, in France, France yeah. this whole time, so Mary just... thinks if I could just meet Elizabeth, get past you know Cecil and all of these people, see her face-to-face, she'd be able to convince her. Yeah, just have a picnic and a, a walk or something. Mm. And they're, you know, they're both very intelligent, very charismatic women. Mary's very charming, as we've seen. There's a pretty decent chance that actually, if they are able to develop, yeah, a common cause in person. Yeah, I like the. I like it when you have um, women in power. Uh, I think this like a, when you've got when it looked like it was going to be Clinton. Clinton and Merkel and May. Mm. You just, I just feel like it's just a bit. Every, all, all the pressure is taken down a notch, and it, everyone's just a bit more sensible. But they've got all <laughs> these things went in a different. They direction. went in a very different direction. You had the complete opposite. Um, but 
it, the problem here is that you've got all these aggressive men surrounding and protecting them, isn't mm. it? It's amazing the fact that England and Scotland both go to female rulers at the same time. At the yeah. same time you know, excluding Margaret the Maid of Norway, obviously. Mm. Um, yeah. How it's different it might have been if you had a really aggressive man in there. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, again, Elizabeth is kind of receptive to this. So there are plans for Elizabeth and Mary to meet in York in 1562. Uh-huh. They're writing each other letters. They're sending each other portraits of themselves. It's sort of regal... <laughs> selfies. They're texting <laughs> selfies to each other. Regal Amazing. flirting in a slightly bizarre way. Yeah. But then the Duke of Guise in France massacres a Protestant congregation. And Me- shortly <sighs> after this, the sort of religious wars in France really start, and the meeting never takes place. It does seem to have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That, that mm-hmm. decision. But nevertheless, it comes at the worst possible moment. Mary was going to get her meeting mm. with Elizabeth and it doesn't happen. And York, just for ease, because it's between the two? Yeah. Okay. But Mary hasn't given up hope yet. In 1562, uh, she has to deal with a rebellion in Scotland, and it's mm. a Catholic rebellion. Weird. Well, the Earl of Huntley, the prominent Catholic noble, leaves court when Mary names her brother Lord James as the Earl of Murray. Right. Which is kind of in Huntley's sort of territory. He might have hoped that that would be a title mm. for his own family. So he just goes off in a huff, mm. basically. Mary goes on a tour of the North East, and on Huntley's orders, she is refused entry to Inverness Castle. Oh, dear. So That's she cool. summons Huntley to appear before her, and he refuses and instead is named an outlaw and raises an army. So, so the the tra- presumably the person who's manning the gate at this castle... <laughs> Is you know he's on he's on just above minimum wage, <laughs> and the queen arrives. And he says, oh, "My uh, computer says no." <laughs> yeah, that's what he's doing. How does he must have made of steel to <laughs> refuse the queen? If your name's not down, you're not coming in. So Huntley is declared uh, an outlaw. He attempts a rebellion, but Mary faces off against him, and the Earl of Murray raises a rival army and defeats Huntley in battle. The rival army in this case is Protestant. Yes, yeah, so we now have Mary, the Catholic Queen, yeah. putting down a, a Catholic, Catholic rebellion. rebellion. Using Protestant troops. Yes. So it counts for nothing. Well, what it counts for is that Mary is showing the Scots and <coughs> Elizabeth yeah. that she is committed to upholding the national religion. The fact that she is a Catholic does not mean that she can't be trusted. Yeah to rule a Protestant nation. Yeah, quite. So maybe yeah. she could be Queen of England and it would be fine. But, yeah, it's just sense, isn't it? It's just real politic rather than... Mm. Mm, really anyway, but it's, but it is good real politic for Mary. She's done the sensible thing. Um, Huntley uh, dies of apoplexy shortly afterwards <laughs> and his son is uh, executed. Bizarrely, Huntley is then actually put on trial two weeks later. De- he, a dead body? He's propped up in his coffin. <laughs> He would have looked like he had dropsy. <laughs> oh, dropsy. <laughs> so, Mary's put down a Catholic rebellion. She has shown uh, that she is willing, but she does need to move things on a bit. Unlike Elizabeth, Mary does want to produce an heir. Mm. So, uh, Mary is now looking for a husband. Okay. But like Elizabeth, who is ostensibly at this time in the marriage market, it's a very difficult position for a woman because whoever becomes her husband 
there's a threat that they will be seen as kind of king. If you marry a foreigner, then that's all the stuff about alliances. If you marry somebody within the country, then that sets the nobles off against each other. Whoever you pick is going to upset somebody. It's not a good gig, is it? It's like mm. Henry looking for his sixth wife. It's not. No, <laughs> there's going to be very few pickings. Mary has various European uh, suitors, Dukes of Ferrars, Nemours and Anjou, the Kings of Denmark and Sweden, Archduke Charles of Austria, and Mary's preference, Don Carlos of Spain, son of Philip II. Oh, yeah. uh, later turns out to be a bit insane, unfortunately, oh. but at the time it seemed like quite a, yeah. quite a good match. Yeah. But, obviously, somebody else is going to have an opinion on who Mary should be marrying. Lizzie? Lizzie. Mm. She intimates that if Mary chooses an amenable Englishman she will review her status within the English succession. <laughs> That's quite a carrot. <laughs> it's quite a carrot. Um, it's diluted a bit by Cecil, who says that if she chooses an amenable Englishman, she will then have the right to put her case before the English court, which will then consider whether she has any claims to the English throne. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's quite a big carrot. Okay. And Elizabeth has somebody in mind. Mm. Robert Dudley. No. Robert Dudley, who is indeed yeah. Elizabeth's favourite and probably lover. Yeah. She suggests him as the husband for Mary, Queen of Scots. What did he do to deserve that? <laughs> well, <laughs> Mary, I mean, and the Scots generally do have to do a, are you actually serious? This isn't a joke, you're serious. You're yeah. actually suggesting Dudley. Because it was an open secret that they were yeah. um, busy mates, should we say? Yeah. Um, for Mary, it's very dubious. For one thing, she doesn't really want Elizabeth's cast off. Mm. Dudley is also well below her station in terms of rank. Mm. Um, he's not royal. His father and grandfather were executed oh. uh, as traitors. Um, but she is willing to consider it if Elizabeth is serious about the succession. And... He owns Kenilworth Castle, one of the loveliest spots on the planet. Indeed. Uh, Dudley is made the Earl of Leicester in preparation for being eligible, basically, to huh. be married to Mary. Wow. So that, that's Elizabeth sort of pruning him and yeah. plumping his feathers and whatever <laughs> exactly. the expression is. <laughs> um, but it's so Elizabeth has a really bizarre notion that, because initially she's like, yes, off you go. But then she thinks, oh, I don't want him to be in Scotland. Then I won't get to see him. So she's got this idea that Mary and... Dudley will live in England and they'll have this sort of menage a trois going on where Elizabeth can still pop in to visit Dudley That's but quite not... Mary will be married to him and then Dudley will be loyal and consequently it's all... What would make her think that? In-house. It's a bit of a bit of a fantasy really. Yeah. She's gone a bit off the rails there. Mm. Um, so Mary is you know, willing to go along with this if Elizabeth is actually serious but... Elizabeth retreats from the idea and once again decides she doesn't really want to let Mary be her heir. Not such a great idea. Was that just... Was it a joke, do you think? Was it just mind games? She seems to have been serious about it, um, right. but whenever push comes to shove, she mm. kind of retreats. Yeah. Also, Dudley was well against the idea. <laughs> I bet he was. Well, I mean, a lot of the ambassadors, I mean, the English and Scots, were really annoyed at him because they're like, look, you're getting to basically have a kingdom and be married to a beautiful woman. What's your problem? <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't want uh, any part in this, so he does everything in his power to make sure that it doesn't happen. Um, and the Scots are very disappointed. Um, the Earl of Murray, her half-brother, is said to be absolutely furious. They wanted him to, her to marry Dudley. Well, they wanted her... They, they're annoyed at the English and Elizabeth for not agreeing some kind of deal where Mary will be heir. 
Right. Because they okay, think, look, yeah, if we yeah. could have agreed this, then everything would be fine between our two countries. We'd be best of friends. The succession is sorted for both countries. The religion is sorted for both mm. countries. And instead, oh, yeah. you've now annoyed her and she can just go off and do whatever she wants and we won't be able to control her anymore. Yeah, they didn't care who she married, but she want, they wanted the outcome of the marriage. Mm. And Mary herself says, To answer me with nothing, I find great fault and fear it shall turn to her discredit more than my loss. I would that I might have been bound to my sister. Elizabeth hasn't played ball. Mary is going to reject Murray's middle way and find her own match. There we go. So, the man who is now dangled in front of Mary is a chap called Lord Darnley. English or Scottish? Well, he is the son of the Earl of Lennox and Margaret Douglas. Very Scottish. Well, he's very Scottish, but um, he is also very English. Huh? Lennox is a Scottish lord with a claim to the Scottish throne, mm. but he married the daughter of Margaret Tudor. Ah. So Darnley has thus a very good claim to the Scottish throne, and, like Mary Queen of Scots, a very good claim to the English throne. Does that make them related somehow? Oh, yes, it does. Okay, yes, good. they are absolutely too close to be married, but, yeah. you know. Needs must. <laughs> Needs must. He, she basically married her brother anyway. Um, he's 19. Oh, uh, over six foot tall, okay. which, you know, for Mary, who's a tall mm. woman, is a good thing. Nicknamed Long Lad by Elizabeth. <laughs> and uh, he's said to be a very handsome young man as well. I bet. Um, so Elizabeth, bizarrely, again, she really does make some clangers in this period, sends him to Scotland basically as a distraction from the potential of a foreign marriage that Elizabeth, uh, that Mary might make. Right. Okay. Unfortunately, he's a bit too distracting and Mary falls for him. He also falls ill uh, oh. in this period, and Mary nurses him back to health, so it really helps to form a bond between uh, the two of them. Yeah. Consequently, Mary thinks, well, if I marry this guy, even better claim to the English throne that my children would have. It reduces the threat of the Lennox family in Scotland. They're no longer going to be a dynastic rival. They're part of the family. They, he, he's a he's Protestant, father. is he? Um, he well, he's kind of Catholic, but okay. he's kind of willing to swing yeah. both ways. And yeah, and she thinks this is great. That does sound great. And so they are married. But why Elizabeth doesn't have a problem with this? Elizabeth did not think that Mary was actually going to marry him, and is absolutely furious when it happens. Why would she do that then? Silly. Just silly. Silly. So she's, she sends up to him as a prospective suitor, yeah. very attractive, younger man, saying oh, she, she'll fall for this one. <laughs> huh? <laughs> really? Is that, that's actually what happened? Yeah. Uh, she gets the Privy Council to try and think of a way that they can stop this. She recalls Lennox and recalls Darnley back to the English court, but obviously they don't come. No. Uh, just has to make do with him. Prisoning Margaret Douglas in the Tower of London. What was she got to do with this? Well, dear, right. Someone's um, going to suffer. <laughs> They're so Tudor. But it's also not very popular with the Earl of Murray and the Protestant lords mm. because Lennox is now back in mm. Scotland after being exiled for 20 odd years after turning tail in the rough wooing. And he'd got that clash with the Earl of Arran that he said was. Um, illegitimate and yeah. not the proper. So now the Earl of Arran's not very happy because his old rival's back. Earl of Murray and the other Protestant lords thinks, oh dear, we've now got a Catholic family back and they're taking all the prominent positions at court. Suddenly Murray's influence isn't as strong as it was. Mm. They don't want the marriage to take place. Mary's quite diplomatic though, isn't she? She, she Presumably, even though she's married this chap, 
will continue to let the status go flow? Well, the problem is that Lennox and Darnley are pretty vocal in their desire to put Murray and Co. back in their place. Right. And what's more, Murray and Co. are pretty vocal in their opposition to the marriage. They refuse to attend the wedding, mm. refuse to um, sign a document pledging their support, and they're forced to leave court. Consequently, they rebel. Mm. They say that they're going to defend the Protestant settlement, but also obviously they're going to defend their own positions in Scotland. But they struggle to raise much support. Because the majority are still Catholic. And Mary is very popular, and mm. she goes out of her way to appear compliant with Protestantism. Darnley and Lennox attend Protestant sermons and things mm. like this. Mary raises a very large army, recalls the Earl of Bothwell, who had been exiled for a period of time, restores the son of the Earl of Huntley to mm. the earldom, and Bothwell and Huntley then become firm allies. So she, again, she's got a Catholic and Protestant mm. on side. And they pursue them all across Scotland and out into exile in England. She's seen off the rebellion. But she becomes se- known as the chase about raid because they're literally just chasing them about. <laughs> but this time she's putting down a Protestant rebellion. This time she's put down a Protestant rebellion. Problems. But she has put it down and she has exiled um, some of her most prominent rivals. Mm. Uh, William Cecil and Elizabeth decide that you know the game's up there. They don't offer any support to Murray for him to head back with troops, which is what he was after. Mm. Mary has got herself a very good marriage with somebody that strengthens her claim to, in future, the English throne. She's got some loyal supporters at court with her. She's kind of at the peak of her powers. So it can only get better, I guess. One must assume that. But we are going to leave it here for this week, and we'll be finding out Ah. in part two whether or not Mary is able to build on this success, or if perhaps it will be the beginning of something rather less... Uh, successful. Thank you very much for listening. Let us know what you think uh, so far. How you think? How you think she's going to do? It. You can probably find out for yourself quite easily. Uh, but get in touch with us um, at Rex Factor Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Yes, please email us Rex Factor Podcast at hotmail dot com. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, tell your friends. Leave a review uh, on iTunes, probably a very good one. Um, (laughs) If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so as a one-off donation via PayPal, or you can do a monthly donation uh, by clicking Be My Patron. Everybody who does that gets special access to our Privy Chamber bonus podcasts, which we record after each of these. Uh, But... Up from that, uh, $5 a month, you get to free access to our special episodes. It mm. usually costs $2 a month. $2 a time. And the very, very top level, $25 a month, you get to commission a, uh, a special episode on the subject of your choice. Mm. Uh, and you get a Privy Councillor t-shirt. Oh, yes. They're coming along, by the way. And we have some Privy Councillors to thank. Okay. Lankin Park. Mm. P. Fringers. N. Omalduin. Rue Kirk Rodeo, Catherine Wendell, Victoria Squires, Christina Burke, Caitlin Whitmore, Tommy Herbert, I am Alan Cook. <laughs> Very good. RJ Jack 56, Susan Lowe, Tracer Muir, and Joseph Holmes. Thank you all very much. Arise your new status as Privy Councillors. And hello, Tommy Herbert. Yes, yeah, nice yeah, yeah. on board as a Privy Councillor. It's good, though. I'm enjoying it. There's mm. so much intrigue that it's, it's an exciting one. 
plenty more drama, plenty more intrigue, all sorts of stuff to come. So mm. in the second episode, we'll be doing the rest of Mary's uh, life and mm. reign. And then after that third episode, we will review Mary and decide whether or not she's got the Rex Factor. It's been worth the wait, Graham. I want to see what happens next. See you next time. Cheerio. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.